Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. And though I feel like that there's no way I can, because of the limitations that I choose to make every day by yielding to my flesh instead of walking in the Spirit, to whatever degree that may be, great or small, I know that there's no way that I can not just begin to repay God for all He does for me, but I feel inadequate when it comes time to try to thank Him enough. I really, I really uh, am looking forward to heaven because I just somehow believe that among the many other wonderful things about that environment when we get there, I, I really believe deep in my heart, somewhere inside me, I've got this belief, maybe it's just a hope, that when I see him, that at that time I'm going to be able to, for the first time, truly and adequately, completely the way I ought to be able to thank him and praise him for all that he's done for me in this life on earth. Praise God. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bible, uh, as we all stand in honor of the reading of God's word, turn in it with me to the book of Exodus. And uh, again, I greet our guests, all of you that are visiting with us today. Thank you for coming to be with us. Uh, Sometimes the Lord directs the message, the sermon. I don't like calling what I'm about to do a sermon because that seems too uh, clinical, too uh, formal. I really prefer to use the word message because that's what I believe that it is, a word from God. And, of course, I pray and seek the face of the Lord every time I come to this pulpit. Sometimes it's geared for sinners. Sometimes it's geared for saints. Today it's geared for saints. So uh, all of you that are here today, you're a Christian. This is for you. If you're not a Christian, would you please uh, not excuse me, but take uh, just this uh, sidebar, this caveat. Come back next Sunday and... and, uh, Maybe it'll be something that's geared especially for those that are not Christians. But today I want to speak to Christians, both church members and those who are Christians who are visiting with us today. Exodus chapter 13, and uh, I'm going to use this Old Testament principle to bring to you the concept that the Lord is going to have me speak concerning. Exodus 13 and verse number 2, it says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. You know what sanctify means? It means set apart. In other words, give to God. All the firstborn, whosoever or whatsoever, uh, opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. And then watch these last three words. It is mine. Say it's God's. Pray with me over the word right now. God, we know that your word's already anointed, but I'm asking you to anoint my mind, my heart, my lips, anoint every person in this place, 
their mind, their heart, to receive your word with gladness and respond as you would have us to, that your will might be done in our lives and here on earth as we know it already is in heaven. We just want your will to be done, we pray by your word in Jesus' name. And somebody said amen. God bless you as you're seated. I want to speak to you from this thought today. God's plan to bless your life. How many believe God wants to bless you? When I say bless, I mean in every way imaginable, physically, spiritually, and financially. If you want the blessings of God upon your life, say amen. I really believe there's not a single person here today who wouldn't want God's blessings in every way upon their life. So the question isn't, do we want God's blessing? But really the question that we ought to ask ourselves today is this, how do we attract God's blessings to our life. I would say at this juncture, every Christian, every apostolic does not have the blessings of God upon their life. And that's because God's blessings and God's favor are not just automatic endowments bestowed upon you once you get born again. The blessings of God come and we receive them because there is a way that God says to live our life in order for that to happen according to God's plan. And that's what I'm talking about today. Nobody wins the God lottery. There's no such thing. God and God really isn't arbitrary about who he gives his blessings to. God isn't a, a communist or a socialist uh, who distributes the same to everybody. God doesn't redistribute wealth by taking from the rich and giving to the poor. God's not Robin Hood. In fact, it's the opposite in the kingdom of God. Some people would not have you believe so, but the Bible tells us it is. God blesses those who understand how to receive his blessings. And those people are going to increase in their lives. And those who don't understand or who do understand but ignore his plan are going to struggle because of that. But there's something you can do to receive the spiritual blessings of God and the financial blessings of God. You may ask, what is it? Do I need to pray more? Do I need to fast more? Do I need to worship more? Do I need to read my Bible more than what I'm doing? Go to church more? Now, those are all good things, and they're, they're actually great things, and they're all very, very important, but they are not the actual key to receiving the blessings of God in your life. I'm reminded of a commercial that I've seen uh, a time or two where uh, I believe it's Capital One Bank has somebody, sometimes it's a, a nobody and sometimes it's a big uh, mega movie star or some celebrity asking a simple question in their commercial. What's in your wallet? Anybody ever seen that commercial? Well, you know what? The answer to that question has everything to do with whether or not you are attracting the blessings of God, especially spiritual and financial blessings of God. Would you believe it? It has to do with your money. Somebody say amen. I know it sounds carnal, 
but it's God's plan. You might say, well, you mean spiritual blessings? Not just financial, but spiritual blessings come into my life by what I do with what's in my wallet or my bank account or my purse or my checkbook? Absolutely. I've got Bible. But first, let me ask you a, a hypothetical question. What if you had a rich uncle? Everybody wants a rich uncle, right? Usually we, we want the rich uncle to die. Well, not really. But you know what? In this hypothetical situation, instead of waiting for rich uncle to die so that we can participate in the distribution of his wealth by way of his will, let's say he calls you on the phone and says, come over, I want to talk to you, and you get to his house, and uh, he says, uh, listen, I've got a problem. Uh, I need your help. I've got more money than I know what to do with. And I don't want to wait till I die to give it away. I want to do it right now. My problem is I just need to find people I can give that money to, and I think you're one of them. Are you interested? And you might say something like this. Let me get this straight now. You're going to give money away to people, and you're asking me if I want to be one of those people. Okay, well, I guess so. So he says, here's the deal. I'm going to send you a check in the mail every month for $1,000. But here's what your end of the deal is. I need you to immediately, when you get that check in the mail, sit down, write me a check back for $100. Now listen close. If I don't get that check for $100 by the end of that week, then I am going to discontinue sending you the $1,000 checks. Do we have a deal? Would you accept a deal like that? Well, of course you would. Why not? It's not costing you anything. You're ending up with $900 a month that you wouldn't have had. Sure, you would take a deal like that unless your attitude is like this. Well, it's none of his business what I do with it after I get it. But I think all of us would start out with the deal. Let me ask you another question. Would you ever fail to get your $100 check back to Rich Uncle in the mail very quickly? Would you, even if you had to, if somehow you were sick in bed on your deathbed for six days after you got that and you only had one day to get it back to him in time, would you spend $35 to FedEx it to him overnight to make sure he got it back in time? I think so. God has a financial plan for you and me, and this is it. His plan is to give you 100% of your increase. That's everything you get, and you give him back the first, underline first, 10% of it. So basically, God is saying he will bless you for giving just a small percentage back of his resources that he just gave you. Listen to me. God wants to bless you financially. He really does. He is a blessing God. It is God's nature to want to bless his people and to make us fruitful and to multiply your life in so many different ways. 
Sad to say, though, there, there are some people who feel like they don't need God to prosper in this life. At least that's what they act like. They don't need God. They do business without God. They're sometimes very intelligent, educated people who have good jobs and work hard. Uh, maybe there are people who gain money just uh, through inheritance, or maybe they've got really good business smarts, and they know how to make a dollar. And so uh, they, you know, really leave God out of the picture, and they don't partner with God in their finances. You know what God calls those kind of people? He calls them wicked and he calls them fools. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. The psalmist Asaph in the 73rd Psalm, read it when you get home. I'm not going to take the time to here. He had trouble uh, inter internalizing and dealing with the sight that he saw of wicked people prospering, wicked people who were rich people who did not serve God, who did not care about God, who seemed to have everything going their way financially and otherwise. And uh, he just, he, he really had a problem with it. And in fact, you read the, the scripture. I read the chapter again last night. He had to repent for that. I like the phrase, though, the verse that says towards the end, he said, I, I really had a problem with this until I went into the sanctuary. And he got with God and God's program and thinking about the matter from God's perspective again. And then he said, then I understood their end. Jesus told the story of a man who was given one talent by his boss and he kept it hidden and socked away and didn't do anything with it like his master told him to. And because he didn't do what his boss said to do with it, when his boss got back, he called him a wicked an unprofitable servant because he didn't do with the money that his boss gave him what his boss wanted him to do with that money. Are you getting the point today? The talent was taken from him and given to his colleague who had been faithful and did what he was supposed to do. Jesus told another story about a rich man who gave absolutely no consideration to God about his prosperity. This is in Luke 12. And he had so many blessings that he had to build more barns, more storage space to put all of his goods in. But he did not honor God who gave it all to him. And God called this man a fool. So let me see if I get this straight. If somebody, according to the Bible, somebody does not cooperate with God's financial plan and does not honor God and acknowledge God by using God's plan for acknowledging God, that God gave him everything that he has, God calls that person wicked, unprofitable, and a fool. Anyone... Listen to me, who has been blessed in this life, whether it's health or strength or intelligence or shelter, a place to live, a roof over your head, food to eat, clothes to wear, a job, a spouse, children, family, friends, you name it. Everything that we've got comes from God. 
and the person who does not acknowledge God for those gifts, God says is a fool. Why are people who prosper with no consideration of God called wicked and, and, and fools? Because they don't understand that God already owns everything that they have. It's really technically wrong to say God gave you your stuff that you've got right now, that he gave you the power to decide how to use your stuff. It's really still God's stuff. It's really not yours. He really didn't give it to you. The technical way to say it correctly is he's just loaned it to you to see what you're going to do with it. That money in your bank account, that paycheck that you get every week or every month, that's not your money. That's God's money. All of it. 100% of it. And you need to understand God's plan for what you're supposed to do with it. You may not have a rich uncle, but you've got a rich God. Now, I can understand non-Christians who don't partner with God, who don't live for God, but I don't understand people who have been born again, people who call God their heavenly Father, people who have been saved from eternal fire of hell and damnation, people who come to church and enjoy the, the worship and the preaching and the moving of God's presence and the fellowship, and yet for all of those things, they still do not participate in God's financial plan for blessing His way the way he wants it done. You don't have a rich uncle, but the God that you have is rich. 1 Timothy 6 and 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Philippians 4 and 19 says, My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8 reads, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Our God is a blessing God. He's an abundant God. He has it all. Amen. Psalm 50 and 10 says, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Psalm 24 and 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including your bank account and what's in the cupboard in your kitchen. But he says, I am the one that blesses you with everything. Listen, God is an abundantly extravagant God. When he created the animals and this earth and he put them on this earth, he didn't make one kind of dog or one kind of sheep or one kind of horse or one kind of tree or flower, but he made thousands upon thousands. He's an extravagant God. He's an abundant God and he is a generous God and he wants to bless you spiritually and financially. Praise God. And God has let us know what his plan is. And my job today is simply to tell you what God wants you to know about his plan from his word. His financial plan is called the giving of tithes and offerings. His financial plan of blessing does not apply to everybody. The part where he blesses, where he gives out blessings, 
doesn't apply to everybody. It only applies to those who participate in his plan. Hello. And live their lives according to it. Tithing is the joyful, cheerful, willing giving of the first 10% of your increase. In 100%, you've got 10, 10%, right? So which 10% is the first? How do you know if you're giving the first? God says first. That word's in the Bible. How do you know if you're giving the first 10% like God tells you to? Well, the first 10% is the first 10% you spend after your increase, after the money comes in. So right off the top. Now, understanding tithing means you understand the principle of the firstborn, the scripture that I read about according to the Old Testament law, the firstborn had to be given to God in a sacrifice. And if it wasn't sacrificed, it had to be redeemed or replaced. Remember, God's law called for the sacrifice that his people made to him to be the best they had. It had to be perfect. That lamb had to be without spot, without blemish. It couldn't be sick. It couldn't have a crippled leg. It had to be perfect. And if the firstborn was in any way defective, therefore it could not be sacrificed to God. God still required it, though. You had to redeem it. You had to go buy somebody else's or take another one from the flock that you already had Remember now, the firstborn from every one of your animals goes to God. You had to come up with another one. It had to cost you the same amount as the first one, and you had to sacrifice that one. Either way, God got his portion first. Everybody say first. And this principle of the firstborn is found all the way through the Word of God, before the Old Testament law and on into the New Testament. Whether we give Him the first of our time or our finances, uh, tithing is about giving our first to God. It's not, about, it's not about giving God what's left over after you pay your bills. Is that the way you think about God? You give God your dregs, your leftovers, your hand-me-downs? Now, here's the key to this whole thing. It requires faith to give God the first 10%. That's exactly why God chose to do it this way. The Bible says the just, who's the just? That's us, shall live by faith. And that's why so few Christians do it, because they don't live by faith. What about us here today? Do you believe in God? Do you believe apostolics in your doctrine that you've believed from the Word of God? Do you believe your mission to go and reach the lost? Do you believe the values that you've accepted as God wanting you to believe? When you tithe, when you give the first 10% of everything that comes in to God, you are saying, God, I recognize you first. I'm putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of everything else, all the other needs in my life. That's why tithing is so important. 
It's the primary way that we acknowledge God is first in our life. Exodus 23 and 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Now notice where he says to bring it. Where is it? The house of the Lord. The word of God makes it clear we need to honor the Lord with our first fruits of our increase. And when we do, we'll be blessed beyond measure. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new vine, new wine. Now the verse I read before that, Exodus 23 and 19. Put that back up, Brother Terry. It says the place to give or bring our first fruits is the house of the Lord doesn't say give the tithe, the first 10% to a television evangelist or Jimmy Swaggart or Benny Heine, as my mother used to call him. Wow, he's being, he's being bold today, isn't he? doesn't say give it to a missionary. Should we give to missionaries? Yes. But the first 10%, no. What you give to missions should be given out of your source of money, out of your bank account, after you've already given the 10%. Where? Malachi 3 repeats what God said in Exodus chapter 23, bring it into the house of the Lord. Malachi says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. And then he is so good, he doesn't have to. God doesn't always explain why we're supposed to do something, but he does here. He says, that there may be meat in my house. It's to pay for the upkeep of the work of God, the local church, the one that you come to week after week and worship God in. Let me, uh, let me give you an illustration, and I won't be that much longer from the Bible about how super important this concept is uh, of bringing the first fruits to God. It really is. You remember the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, crossed Jordan into the promised land after 40 long years. And the promised land wasn't there just waiting for them to go in and possess without first them having to do some fighting for it. Because the people that had occupied that land in their 400-year-long absence from that land had moved in, and they had set up housekeeping, and they weren't going to go easy. And so God said, you're going to go fight in battle, and I'm going to give you great victories. I'll give you victory in every battle. Once again, he said, if you do it my way. So the first city appeared on the horizon. Somebody tell me what it was. Jericho. They went to Jericho, and there God wrought a mighty victory for them. So miraculous, so supernatural, that all they had to do was march around the city for seven days. And at the end of that seven days of marching, what happened? The walls came down. And they just didn't fall over flat. The Bible says, or, or, or archaeology says, those who have dug up those ruins say that the walls actually just really kind of sank straight down into the ground so that those fighting men of Israel's army could just run over. They didn't have to jump over boulders or, or go. They just walked right into the city and took it. 
But God had told Joshua, listen, this is very important. You tell the men who fight and go in and they claim that city. You tell them these very clear instructions. They are to give me everything. They are not to take a single item for spoil. They're to take nothing back to their tent with them. Now, we had one man who didn't get it. His name was Achan. He took some of the spoils from Jericho for himself. Well, what, what could he have been thinking? I don't know. Maybe he was thinking something like, well, who does God think he is? I'm the one that's been wandering around in this wilderness for however many years it had been. Do you know how long it's been since my wife had a new change of clothes? Do you know how nice it would be to have some money jingling in my pocket? I've waited long enough. I, I'm going to take what's coming to me now. I fought hard in the battle today. I earned this. But you see, if only Achan had waited, he could have had it all. This is the power of tithing and giving the first fruit of our increase to God. Listen to me, folks. There is a time to give and there is a time to receive from God. And you don't ever want to get the two confused. You don't receive first, not in God's plan to bless you. You give to him first. The Bible says Achan became accursed. Think about that. When the spoils were given to God, they were consecrated or, or set apart for God's house. But when a man took some for himself, here we find it was actually cursing the entire nation's efforts to take the promised land. You'd only, you'd, you don't just hurt yourself when you rob God. You hurt this church. Can I say that again? You hurt this church when you rob God. You, work, you, you hurt the work of God and the kingdom of God. Here's how strongly God feels about giving to him first. Achan and his entire family were marched outside of the city, outside of the camp, and they were stoned to death. His obedience brought a curse upon the whole people of God. And God said, that has to be removed. Consecrated or cursed, that's exactly what the tithe is all throughout the Bible. If we give it to God, it's consecrated, it's blessed. If we hold it, the first fruits for ourselves, it becomes a curse because we have stolen from God. Your faithful tithing blesses not only you and your family, your household, but the entire body of Christ. Tithing, giving to God is an act of faith. I, I'll admit to you, there have been times in my life, many times, when tithing was an act of faith because I wasn't sure in my carnal thinking that the 90% that was left over was going to do the job that I needed it to do that week. But what does it say about our priorities when we willingly pay everybody else first and then see if there's enough left to give God his portion? What does that say about how you really feel about God? That's why it's so important that our tithe to God is first. Because the first portion 
Now, going back to the principle of the firstborn that I talked about a while ago, the first portion of what you get has the power to redeem the rest. In other words, God says, if you will put me first, the 90% that you have left after you give me my tithe will go a lot further than the 100% if you kept my portion. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have God's blessing on the 90% than a curse on the 100%. Praise God. Now, I don't want anybody to leave because the musicians have come. There always is somebody who leaves. This is the most important part of this service. The next five minutes. So don't anybody leave. You know, unless you're going to burst. You know, there's one question that uh, nobody's ever asked me as a pastor. Almost 30 years of pastoring. Not one time. And that question is, Pastor, what is the one thing that you wish every member of this church understood or obeyed or followed or did in their life? My answer would be very simply this. I wish every single member of this church would willingly, faithfully, and joyfully give his or her tithe to the Lord. Why is that so important to me as a pastor? It's important to me because I understand it's important to God. And I know, just like church attendance, your prayer life, your faithfulness in, in everything, your participation in God's financial plan, whether you tithe or not, is an indicator of how things are going with you and God. Any lack of faithfulness in any of these areas, especially tithing, because that's the hardest one to be faithful in, any lack of faithfulness in this area shows there's something going on that's not good between you and God. There's, there's a problem with your relationship with the Lord, whether it's lack of faith or whatever it may be. God's final appeal to Israel at the end of the Old Testament, the last thing he talked to them about was tithes and offerings. In the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi 3. Now, you may have thought, after sitting under me as your pastor for a long time, you may have thought you'd never hear the words I'm about to say out of my mouth, but here they come anyway. Tithing is more important in some settings than even prayer and fasting. God has an expectation of us as his children to be generous, to be joyous, to be faithful givers to his cause. And I'm thankful that this church is so faithful as a, as a whole. Most of you are faithful in this area of tithing. You're generous whenever there's a need announced. Last week or two weeks ago, Brother Monty Showalter presented the need for the uh, missionary uh, or the pastor wanting to build a, put a roof on his building in the country of Venezuela. And I just had the ushers pass out an envelope 
to whoever wanted to give. No pressure. I didn't say, now, you really need to do this. I just said, whoever wants to do it. Would you believe we had $700 given? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. We sent the check in immediately. Now, this is a good church. This is a generous church. But there are some people who really don't get this. You see, tithing is a control issue. The issue is who is in charge of your life? Is it God or is it you? And if God's, if you say, preacher, God's in control of my life, then my next question is, who's in charge of, in control of your finances? Is it God or you? And you can tell by whether you go by God's plan or not. And if you don't, then God's really not in control of your life. You're still holding on to it. So tithing also isn't an income issue. It's not, well, do I have enough to tithe issue. It isn't a, well, let me see what I have at the end of the month issue. Tithing is a control issue. I asked you again, do you want to be in control of your life or do you want God to be in control? You know, we say we trust God with our soul, with our salvation. I'm trusting and you're trusting in God. If you have been born again, you're trusting in God to keep you from going to hell, aren't you? I am. It's amazing that people can trust God to keep them from going to hell, trust God with with their soul, with their eternity, but they don't trust God with their money by obeying His plan. And sad to say, you know, some people can go to church for an entire year and not tithe, and they call themselves Christians. I can tell you they're not disciples of Christ. They're not following Jesus. Some people tithe sporadically. There are many precious people in this assembly who tithe. But if you're out of town, you don't make it up when you get back. If you're sick or you miss church one Sunday, don't make it up when you get back. That ought not to be. You need to be obedient 100% in the tithe. Oh, and by the way, when you give God's tithe, the first 10% to your children or your family member or somebody else who's in need, oh, well, God understands that I'm giving my tithe to them instead of the church. No, you're not. It's not the tithe. It's an offering, but it's not the tithe. And you're robbing God. It's fine to give to other people and needs and your children and other people. But if you don't give God the first 10%, then you're still robbing God. Tithing is a discipleship issue. True disciples of Jesus participate in his giving plan, which is tithes and offerings. Now, I'm going to close with this. The enemy has put all kinds of reasons in some people's minds that uh, enable them to justify 
why you don't tithe. Again, I'm giving it to somebody else who needs it more than the church. You don't need to think like that. You just need to obey the Word of God. Bring ye all the tithe, all, A-L-L, into the storehouse. And then you bless somebody else above and beyond that. That's God's plan. But here's what's happened. The enemy has come and parked himself on some people's shoulders and given them all kinds of reasons not to tithe, not to give the full 10% first to God. And there's some people that are here today, there's some people who are watching online who need to face that and call it what it really is, that you've bought into a lie from hell. It's as simple as that. God doesn't give any exceptions to his plan. Some of you have, have heard this thought from the enemy. Well, God understands. As if God will let you slide because of this reason or that reason or whatever it is. Again, God gives no exceptions in his word. Some people need to confront their disobedience today. I'd like for every head to be bowed and every eye closed. All of us, I believe, need to make a decision this afternoon at this juncture in our life. I learned a long time ago, as soon as God pricks me, puts in my mind the need for me to change something in my life, you know what another word for change is? It's repent. I learned a long time ago. I asked God for it, and by His grace, He gave it to me. A desire to do it right then. My desire as pastor is for this church to have the full blessings of God. I'll tell you, here lately, I've gone to the prayer room, and I've asked God this question. God, is this why this church is not being blessed like we all want to be blessed? Is this why we're not having revival? Because we've got folks like Achan, there's sin in the camp, the sin of robbing you. Is that why? Whatever you feel like you want your relationship to be with God when you leave this place today, would you, would you at least do what this pastor is asking you to do? And before you leave, come to this altar and have a conversation with the Lord. I, I think all of us need to confirm with God this afternoon our, our love for Him and our desire to please Him and our desire to obey Him and trust Him and be faithful to Him. So I'm asking you to do that. If you just can't find it in yourself to come to an altar and, and humble yourself to come to an altar. That's why we come to an altar, to show our humility. If you can't humble yourself to do that, have that conversation with the Lord at your seat. But do it, please, for your sake and your family's sake, for this church's sake. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. 
Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you and have a blessed day.